Well, good morning. Good morning. We're going to be uh, picking up in chapter 2 of 2 Peter in verses, uh, the second half of verse 10 through uh, verse 16. I kind of entitled this A Portrait of a False, a false Teacher. Um, as, we, as we move through this, uh, this text, Paul, uh, Paul, Peter is filling in more and more detail about, not so much about a specific individual or a specific uh, heresy, but more the general description of what a false teacher, how they are motivated, what they do, how they operate, uh, what their uh, their their mo is, I guess you would say, as as we move through this. Peter uh, Peter uh, offers this description uh, not to not to as I said give a specific a specific error error or a specific individual, uh, but he gives a picture that it could apply to any false teacher, and it's it's a, a general description, I guess you would say, of uh, of, of a false teacher, and it uh, uh, and it can apply, and as such, it it applies very much to the Old Testament false prophets. It applies to the false teachers of today. It applies to the false teachers of of, uh, of Peter's day. It's it's a universal description, I guess. I guess we could say. Um, and it, it, he he began that introduction in chapter two in verses one uh, one through three, and now he's going to give us a little better. Uh, picture of these individuals and how they how they think and how they operate and uh, what the, what their characteristic marks may be I guess you could say he, he said in verse one of chapter two that they introduced destructive heresies destructive to the faith of people is is the idea destructive to themselves as well uh, they practice sensuality all kinds of sin but specifically uh, as he will delineate today uh, sexual sins and their greatest motivator is the almighty dollar uh, they're out for money that's that's their that's their that's their viewpoint and so as we move in today I uh, I, we're going to look at them from the standpoint of that they're arrogant blasphemers, they're reveling adulterers, and they're lost in madness. Uh, that's how Peter is going to de- describe them as we uh, as we move through the text this morning. Before we do, do, do we have any any prayer requests today? I have one. Um, I think you all know my wife Kathy has uh, vascular dementia, and uh, it's becoming increasingly difficult sometimes to get her up in the morning. Which the morning this morning was no uh, no uh, no exception. And Candy uh, volunteered to come over and stay with her so that so that you could endure me for an hour. Uh, but at any, at any rate, I really I really appreciate that. And I appreciate your prayers because we're going to have to make some decisions about about whether uh, I mean I got about four more weeks in Peter, and then I got to decide whether whether I can keep this up uh, and take care of her too. So um, um, I, I would appreciate prayers in that because I would I would teach until I drop, but maybe that's not going to be possible. So we'll so I just I appreciate your prayers. Uh, anyway, anything else this morning? Okay, so we're going to look first of all at uh, verses uh, 10b through uh, through 12. Um, arrogant, and we see them as arrogant blasphemers. Um, 
probably ought to pick up at verse 9 uh, just to reset the uh, picture of where we are. Uh, after having talked about uh, uh, the examples of past historic judgment, uh, the judgments of, of the angels, the judgments of the flood, the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, in verse 9 he says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trial, because within that there was rescue. And, and, and he, he pointed that out, that God kept the rescue from the, kept the godly from the judgment. And here in verse 9 he says, Then God knows how to rescue the godly, uh, the God, excuse me, the godly from trial and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who go after flesh and in, in, in its corrupt lust and despise authority. And, and that's where we finished off last week. And that kind of sets the stage for where he's going to go now. As he as he begins filling in this portrait of what a what a false teacher looks like, and he, he says he says here in verse and, and as we go on in verse ten, he says, daring, self willed, they do not tremble when they blaspheme glorious ones. Whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring railing judgments against them before God. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, blaspheme where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. And so he says here, first of all, he says that they are daring. Uh, this is a word that uh, that means uh, to be reckless, uh, to be uh, careless. It, uh, it, uh, it, it speaks of those who exalt themselves, not counting the consequences. Uh, I didn't write this text down, but it, in Matthew we have the, the incident where Herod goes out to make his speech and people praise him of being like a god and he accepts the praise and God strikes him instantly. That's the kind of recklessness this is talking about. Second Corinthians chapter uh, 32, verses 24 and 25 uh, speaks of the days of King Hezekiah of Israel, who became sick to the point of death, and he prayed to Yahweh, and Yahweh spoke to him and gave him a miraculous sign. But but Hezekiah gave no return for the benefit he received, because his heart was proud, and therefore wrath came upon him and upon Judah and on Jerusalem. Fortunately, in Hezekiah's case, he did repent after that. But the point being is, is that God miraculously heals him, and then he doesn't give God credit for it. No, that's a recklessness. That's that's the that's the picture that he's talking about uh, about uh, <clears throat> about the false teachers. They're reckless. Their conduct is reckless. They don't glorify God. They praise themselves. Ultimately, is what they do. But the, but that's the picture here. They, they they have no no concept of what the consequences are going to be. Uh, they just jump in with both feet and go after it. He goes on to say they're they're self-willed. Uh, this is a word that means uh, in the NIV they put bold and arrogant, uh, and I borrowed their their term because that's what this word means. It means conceited. It means arrogant. That's that's what it means. Uh, and the KJV says they are presumptuous. Is the same idea. Uh, they presume on God. They have an arrogance toward Him. That they they are in charge. They are the guys. There are there are preachers in pulpits today that think they are the dictator, little god of that church. Uh, they're false teachers. Uh, that that's the kind of people they are. Uh, they're arrogant. Uh, they're arrogant. 
They have no concern for anything, anyone or anything else. They're conceited. They're interested in self-gratification and physical pleasure. That's what this is going to go on to say. They're self-willed to the point that they are arrogant, that, that they think they can, they can stand before God and he owes them, I guess, would be the idea. That kind of a concept. I had a friend one time that had, uh, he'd worked really hard. I went to seminary with him, and he'd taken a little church up in the hills, and, and he'd, he'd worked, he'd put his head down, you know, and buried it in the, in, in, in the work. And, and unfortunately, there were two, the two most, it was a small church, and the two most prominent families in the church got in a fight with each other over, guess what? money and uh, they literally destroyed the church and, and my friend tried to do everything he could to get them to reconcile and, and they wouldn't you know they just wouldn't and he was he was uh, bemoaning what had happened which okay I, I grant that but he he went on and on about I did everything I was supposed to do I did this I did that I did this I did that and I looked at him and I said so God owed you what you know and he changed his attitude <laughs> You know, uh, that, that's the idea. He was falling in. He wasn't a false teacher, but he was falling into a trap here, you know, of, of arrogance and conceit. And then he goes on and he, he illustrates this arrogance. And he says, he says, and this is one of those texts that is a little bit difficult the way Peter wrote it uh, to uh, to rightly interpret. But he says, he says, they're daring self-willed and they don't tremble when they blaspheme glorious ones. And the question is, who are the glorious ones? Well, actually, verse 11 tells us, but gives us a real good hint to that idea. Uh, but but the point here is they blaspheme. That is, they slander, they speak lightly of, or they profane sacred things is really the idea. Uh, that's, that's what blasphemy means. That's that's the idea behind it. It's to slander. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and they're following that kind of a pattern. And he, and he says, glorious ones. Well, in this instant, the word glorious ones actually refers to fallen angels. That's really what he's not talking about holy angels, because verse 11 goes on to say, whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring a railing judgment against them before the Lord. It's the same glorious ones. Holy angels don't revile fallen angels before the Lord. Jude chapter, that doesn't have any chapters. Jude verse 8. Yet in the same, uh, wrong one, verse 9. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, uh, was arguing about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a blasphemous judgment. He said, Lord, rebuke you. So that's that's the idea here. Th- these are guys that think they can, uh, that, that they, that they can, they can, they can make all kinds of accusations a- against Satan and his 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 uh, his demons. Uh, you have to keep in mind that fallen angels, just as fallen men who retain a sense of the image of God, Dewey Veer, the theologian Dewey Veer says uh, that we still have the image of God, but it is radically darkened. But uh, but nevertheless, that image doesn't go away. That Im- image hasn't left. Fallen angels still retain some of their power and uh, and and abilities and and some of the some of those things God gave them initially uh, within themselves. That's that's the idea here. Second Corinthians uh, ten thirteen and five talks about the three levels uh, of angels within their realm. 
uh, and they they are ones who exercise authority in this world. That's that's those levels that he he points to in, in there. And uh, uh, Ephesians two two says that they are the that these powers are these are the powers of the air that work in the sons of disobedience. Uh, so that's kind of the idea that that he's wanting us to understand here. Um, so they're reviving these fallen angels. Yeah, we're going to okay. let me. I, can, I think I can give you an example now. Uh, but at any rate, I don't know if any of you have ever heard any of these guys. Occasionally, I've listened to one just to make me mad. I think, but nevertheless, I yell at my radio when I hear them. But but nevertheless, within the radical wing of the charismatic movement, they have teachers that teach binding the devil. You can't do that. Don't think you can. You don't have the power. Now, the Holy Spirit is greater than he is that's in the world, who's in you. And yes, he can keep you and protect you. But you can't bind the devil. And these guys will talk about that. I heard one guy one day, this is what he said, that he's going to grab the old devil by the tail. I don't know where he got he got a tail, but anyway, he's going to grab him by the tail and he's going to slam him right and left. No, you know what would happen to that guy? He would grab the devil would grab him by the tail and slam him up, down, right, left, and backward and forward. That's what would happen. This doesn't happen. Uh, that's but that's that's what you hear uh, in Daniel chapter ten verse thirteen. Gabriel. A powerful messenger angel that God used repeatedly uh, to to minister to the people of, of Israel is sent to Daniel, and demons block him for 21 days. A battle goes on for 21 days. In Daniel chapter chapter 10. Uh, it goes on for 21 days. Finally, Michael, the most powerful of the angels, has to go and help in the fight. And you're going to bind the devil? No, no. That's what this is saying. You don't have that power. The point is not to compare angels and false teachers, but it's to display the arrogance that they show in thinking that they have that kind of authority and that kind of power and that kind of ability uh, that they can slander celestial beings. That's 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 what that's what uh, Peter is stating here. This is a, a picture of them. They're, they're arrogant, uh, they're daring, they're self-willed, they're all important within their own self is the idea uh, that he is, he's, he's, ex- he's trying to explain here. Uh, that's, that's what he's telling us. Uh, it's clearly displayed in the way they behave and the way they act and the way they, uh, the way they, the way they see things. And then verse 11 goes on to say, whereas angels who are greater in strength and power do not bring a, 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 a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. In other words, even the holy angels don't go in and accuse the demon angels before the Lord. They don't go in and, and make these kind of claims. They don't go in and say these kinds of things. That's that's what he's saying here. Once again, Jude 9, even Michael, the head of God's army, the most powerful of his angelic beings, he says, Lord rebuke you. Not not him. He doesn't he doesn't he doesn't make the accusation himself. And then verse 12 goes on and says, verse 12, but these like unreasoning animals 
Born as creatures of instinct, to be captured and killed, blaspheming where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Now, I'm going to give a disclaimer here. There's a disclaimer here. This is not permission for you to go on a search and destroy mission against false teachers. Okay, I understand that. You, you, don't, you don't have that authority. I don't think any of you believe that. But, uh, you know, within some of the radical wings of what people do and claim is Christianity, uh, they kill abortionists and blow up abortion clinics and, and think those kinds of things are proper. That's not what Peter is saying here. Yeah, that's not at all what Peter is saying here. It's, this isn't the right to uh, destroy someone. Uh, that isn't. That's not what he's saying in this in this particular in this particular idea. He's he's say, he's saying here that they he's he's referring to them in the idea that they operate not from reason but from instinct, like an animal. That's what they're saying. He's comparing the faults to a, to a, to a, to a, to an animal. He's saying that an animal doesn't operate based on thinking through a problem, coming up with solutions, weighing out measure A, B, and C, and then taking the best one. He operates based on instincts that are inbred in him that that he responds to a situation according to that instinct. You know, uh, that's why a dog, when he's scared, bites you. You know, that's all there is to it. You know, he, he doesn't do it for any other reason. It's a response. It's, a, it's an irrational, instinctive response. Incidentally, this is why animals don't have rights. You know, the people in the animal rights movement, that animal can't honor your rights. Therefore, you know, and we put, well, the justice system is supposed to, let's put it this way, take those people who violate society's rights and take their rights away by incarcerating them. That's the idea of the justice system. Likewise, animals don't have rights. Animals work on instinct. People, on the other hand, do not. They operate, they should, well, they should, let's put it this way. They should operate out of reason. Animals, and, and what he's saying in this context about about the uh, um, born out of instinct to be captured and killed, he's basically saying that's the ecosystem, you know? There's a food chain. Now, it's better to be at the top of the food chain. But nevertheless, there's a food chain. And even those that are at the top of the food chain ultimately become food for the insects and the birds of prey and that kind of thing. So... The fact of the matter is, that's all this is saying. This is all he's saying here. That these people are like unreasoning animals. They don't think things out. They just move on their feelings and emotions, I guess, is kind of the idea here. They, they act like it's just instinct to do these things. It's, this is the normal operating procedure for them. And they, they blaspheme where they have no knowledge. Yeah. What's the exact definition of blaspheme? Or- it, it means to slander. And, and in particular, when it's used in a biblical sense, it means to slander God and his word is ultimately what it means. But not in this case, because they're talking about 
have fallen angels, so they're slandering. they're they're slandering falling angels. Well, they're saw they're yeah they're they're yeah. It's it, the word has a broad a broad sense. Uh, we tend to use it solely within the theological sense of uh, slandering God and His Word and His work, and and those th- that kind of idea that that kind of blasphemy. Uh, but it ultimately in in classical Greek, it simply means to slander is, is the idea. It's to bring accusations against someone's character. You know, that, that kind of an idea. So yeah, that's probably a good question. That there is, there's a distinction in how it's being used here. <clears throat> but they blaspheme where they have no knowledge. In other words, they, they criticize, they're critical of things they don't know anything about. Uh, they they make slanderous remarks about things they don't know anything about. Incidentally, in this case, it would be probably theological because they make blasphemous marks about theology that they know nothing about. If they did, they wouldn't be false teachers. That's the bottom line here. Uh, Jude chapter 10. Incidentally, if you'll notice, Peter chapter 2 and Jude are compatible with one another. They kind of follow each other's outline. Uh, where did it go? Jude chapter 10. First, we have, there's only, not chapter 10, there's only, there's only verses in Jude. Uh, see how you're, you're, you have these built-in reactions to everything. Everything has a chapter and verse, not Jude. Anyway, uh, but these men blaspheme the things which they do not understand and the things which, which they uh, know by instinct like unreasonable animals. These things, uh, by these things they are destroyed. The same idea. He's, he's just saying the same thing over again. They blaspheme for they have no knowledge. They make no positive contribution uh, that would serve others. They only ridicule divine truth and authority. And then he goes on to say, he says, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. The false teachers don't escape God's judgment, as Jude just said in Jude 10. Uh, they <clears throat> excuse me, uh, those who those those who have intentionally abused God's word, God's word, will ultimately be destroyed. Revelation chapter twenty verses nine through fifteen, the great white throne judgment. All's na- all whose names were not found in the book of life were thrown into the lake of fires. Incidentally, just kind of along along that uh, that chapter, in verse ten of that chapter, uh, where uh, the judgment of Satan and uh, the, or excuse me, the, the Antichrist and his cronies, it notes the false prophet of all time, who where he goes directly to the lake of fires. He doesn't even go to the judgment seat, just goes to the lake of fires. So they go to the same place. That's the point here. They don't get away with it. They may seem to for a while, but they don't get away with it. Uh, God is a just and holy God, and they will answer to him. And they will answer for their arrogance, and they will answer for their self-will. That's the idea. And then secondly, he says they are reveling adulterers in verse 13 and 14. Now, 13 kind of sums up verse 12, but it, it does introduce where we're going. Suffering unrighteousness is the wages of their unrighteousness. In other words, they commit unrighteousness, and the ultimate end, the consequence of that, that is they suffer for that unrighteousness. They pay the penalty. They pay the penalty for it. Uh, but he says, he says, uh, uh, 
uh, it's kind of interesting how the other how some other versions worded this. Uh, that's the LSV's version. The NSB says suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. The NIV says they will be paid back for the harm which they have harmed. Uh, uh, they have done. The King James says and and shall receive the reward of their unrighteousness. They all say the same thing. There's a penalty to be paid. There, there is a day of reckoning. There is a time uh, when they will suffer unrighteousness. Uh, they will be charged for the harm they have done to the. Uh, they have done. Uh, incidentally, just as as a reminder to us in Revelations two eleven, uh, Jesus promised the church of Smyrna. He says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will will never be hurt by the second death. So he makes it very clear. He makes it very clear there. The the point of this first part of verse 12 is simply a reiteration of, of Galatians 6, 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. He will also reap. And that's what that's what Peter is saying about these these men. They sowed unrighteousness. Uh, They sowed blasphemy. Uh, They sowed their arrogance and they will reap that as their reward. Uh, That's that's the idea here. That's the idea here. And then he says he makes this he makes this statement. He says, considering it a pleasure to to revel in the daytime i was uh, doing a little bit of reading and roman historians say that uh, rome didn't have any problem with reveling uh, they didn't have any part time with with parties and that kind of thing and and carousing and carrying on they didn't have a problem with that as long as it was done at night it was considered absolutely wrong to do it in the daytime now i think rome degraded beyond that at some point but in its in its heyday that was a standard that's pagan man's standard in fact scripture scripture tells us in numerous places he tells us in numerous places uh, that uh, well john 3 for example uh, it says in John 3, uh, verse 19, And this is the judgment, that light came into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. In other words, it says that sin uh, is generally committed at, at, in the dark, at night. And in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, verse 7, uh, Paul wrote, For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. In other words, it was common practice that sin was practiced at night. Uh, And this is saying that these guys, these guys had no concern for society at all. It had no concern for societal norms. They partied in the middle of the day. It was a 24-7 party going on. They had a total disregard, and they showed not only for God, but for society in general, and they showed it by open content, uh, uh, contempt. They reveled, uh, the KJV says, riot um, is, is the picture here. Uh, they just, they, they, uh, they didn't care. Uh, they didn't care what anyone thought. They just moved on. It, it pictures an individual that is so consumed by sin uh, that their pleasure was the only, was the 
only operating procedure that they caroused in the day, they caroused in the night, and in between. Uh, that's really the picture he's painting of these of these guys. Uh, it was a constant party. He goes on and he calls them stains and blemishes. In verse uh, verse verse uh, thirteen, they are stains and blemishes. That word, uh, those two words, basically mean a filthy spot, a defect, a scab, or a malignant sore. That's what those are used for. And basically what Peter is saying, the false teacher is a malignant sore on the church of Jesus Christ. That's the picture he's painting here. That's who these people are. They're a malignant sore that incidentally is transferable to others. And Jude, once again, in verses in verses uh, sixteen to nineteen, he says, "These are grumblers, finding fault, following after their own lusts, and their mouth speaks arrogant, flattering people for the sake of their own benefit." But you, beloved, must remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostle of our apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, where they were saying, "In the last days there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust." Uh, these are ones who cause division, worldly-minded, not having the spirit. That's that's a picture of these guys. In verse twelve, he says, "These are men who are hidden reefs." In your love feast, when you feast, when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water carried about by the wind, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and rooted up. I don't know how a dead a tree dies twice, but nevertheless, I think I've got one of those in my front yard. But anyway, but any, but anyway, that's the picture he paints of these guys. These guys have. Totally no concern for anyone but themselves and their own pleasures. That's that's the that's the picture that he's painting of them when we come to this. <laughs> and, and they deceive their followers by promoting sin. Romans chapter chapter sixteen verses seventeen and eighteen. Paul wrote. Now I urge you, brothers, to keep your eye on those who cause dissension and stumbling, uh, stumbling contrary to the teaching which you learn and turn uh, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of the Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own stomach. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Uh, that's what they do. Uh, that's what they're there for. They're there to deceive, to get take advantage of you. Peter earlier said that they would merchandise you is the idea. Uh, that that's that, that's the that's the idea of these guys, and, and he talks about the he, he says that as they as they feast with you, he goes on in verse in verse fourteen to say, uh, no, not fourteen, excuse me, thirteen, uh, to say they are stains reveling in their deceit as they feast with you. In other words, the picture here is in the New Testament church. Now today we're having communion in the morning service. That's a serious event. I mean, Paul told the Corinthian church that some of them were dead because of their abuse there. You know, some of them were weak, some of them were some of them were were sick, and some of them were dead because they abused that table. And in Corinth, it was really abused. Uh, but nevertheless, 
What it ha- and I think it's largely because of Corinth, what happened historically in the church is that, that the communion was accompanied by a communal meal. I mean, a full meal. Uh, now, some, some commentators think that uh, the meal was first and the communion second. Some think it was a communion and they went to the meal. But whatever, whatever the order was, there was a major meal. You know, we would all sit down at a table and had, had dinner. And then at the end of it, the communion would have been, been brought up much like the Last Supper. That's, that's, that's the picture that they're, that they're having here. And that's what the, this is saying, that these guys are, a, are, are, are a, an infected sore in your love feast. That's, that's what they are. Uh, they come in and they pollute the entire feast. They make a mockery of it. In fact, uh, that became such a problem at Corinth that that's probably the reason we don't do it that way anymore. We separate out the communion and do it as part of a worship service. We still have potlucks and those kind of things. You know, we still have meals, uh, but we separated them. We separated them so that because of abuse. And that's that's what he's saying here. He's saying they abused all of that. Uh, they, they abused that when they feasted with you. And then he goes on in verse 14 and he says, Having eyes full of adultery and unceasing skin, uh, sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, they are accursed children. He goes on and he says, he says, he says here, he says they have eyes full of adultery and un, un, unceasing, skin, uh, unceasing sin. Easy for you to say, not me. But anyway, we just had a lesson on this last week in chapter 5 of Matthew, verse 28. Uh, I don't know how much more to say about that, but I will just say this. These were men with no moral compass. Absolutely no, no moral compass. They lacked any sense of self-control. Uh, they viewed women as merely objects to be conquered. They were sexual predators. That's, that's the picture of these guys. That's, that's the picture that he's, he's giving of them. They, they only saw their lust and their pleasure. That, that, that's what this, this is saying. They looked upon the congregation as what they could get out of it, and the women, it was pleasure. That's, that's what this is saying. It pictures these, teacher, uh, these teachers, these so-called teachers, as adulterers because they continually, nonstop, only looked for the next conquest. That's, that's really what this is saying about them. And it says that they enticed unstable souls. Enticed is a word that means to catch with bait. Uh, it's basically a, fish, a fishing, uh, excuse me, a fishing analogy. It's, you know, you bait a hook and you throw it in the water and some fish comes along and thinks it's dinner and he is dinner. Uh, and that's what it's saying they do to you. They bait you and they hook you. And then they use you. That's the idea. 
I, uh, uh, there's another way I think you can you can use this, and and I like this way better because I'm not much of a fisherman, but I used to hunt. I don't anymore. But but there's a there's a method of hunting that's called hunting over bait. Most states it's illegal, uh, and basically what it is is in a lot of places, uh, guys deer hunt from tree stands. And they put a stand up in the air, and then they put a bunch of apples on the ground, and then it's a turkey shoot, you know. I mean, the deer just comes down, and he's eating, and you shoot him. It's not very sportsmanlike. It's efficient, but it's not very sportsmanlike. Well, that's the idea here. These guys hunt over bait. That's that's what it's that's what it's that's what it says. That's 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 the idea here. They lure you into their sin. That's the idea. Uh, they bait you, and then they trap you. Professing the true uh, true ministry, they target the unstable. Second Timothy chapter three, verses one through eight. Paul wrote to Timothy, but know this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will become lovers of of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, blaspheming, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, without gentleness, without love of good, treacherous, reckless, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I think we just described what Peter is saying. Uh, But anyway, he says, holding to a form of godliness, but having to the power, uh, but denying its power. Keep away from such men as these. For among them uh, are those who enter into households, taking captive weak women, weighed down with sin, being led on by various desires. Always learning, never able to come to a full knowledge of the truth. Just as Jamus and, and, or excuse me, Janus and Jamus oppose Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved minds disqualified in regard to the truth. That's that's the picture. Uh, That's the picture that Peter is painting here. Uh, that's the that's the idea. Paul used a lot more descriptive words, but nevertheless, that's the picture he wants them to understand. He says, "This is who they are. This is why Peter also talked about, or Paul also talked in Ephesians chapter four about how God, Jesus Christ, in the establishment of His church, gave certain gifts." among which were apostles, prophets, evangelists, ta- uh, uh, pastor, teachers, for the purpose of bringing us all to unity in the faith. That's, that's the idea here. That we would be solid, stable, not tossed to and fro, not taking the bait. That, that's the picture. Uh, that's what true ministry is supposed to do. And then he goes on and he says, he says that they... Having been trained in greed. The word trained is an interesting word. It's the word we get gymnasium from in English. The Greek word that we, we render gymnasium in English. It speaks of exercise and discipline. In other words, these guys worked really hard at learning to be as greedy as they could be. They were gold medalists in greed. Did that make sense? Anyway, uh, but anyway, that's that's who they are. Uh, he applies it here to these false teachers that that they practiced and trained in techniques of sin. 
to the point that they could plan attacks with a purpose of, of both sensual and material benefit to themselves. That, that's the idea here. Uh, they could attain these things through, through these methodologies that they had trained themselves in. It speaks, uh, the, the word in classic Greek speaks of the rigorous training that an athlete goes through and the discipline that it takes to be an athlete. And it's applying it to false teachers. They work really hard to be really bad. That's what he's, that's what he's saying here. They're trained in it. And the result is they are accursed children. And you need to understand children is not being used here in a, in a nice form. It's a Hebrewism. And it basically is a, a word that is, used, that is used as identifier uh, in, a, in a lot of cases. It can be identified as, as children of God. It can be identified as children uh, of someone. Uh, but here, here it's being identified as it is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, as children of wrath. And that's how it's being made. It just means they're people. That, that's the idea here. Uh, it, it doesn't have any uh, broader concept than that. It was just a, a, a way uh, the Hebrews very often express things. Children of something. Is, is the idea here. It has no, no uh, spiritual significance other than the word that's applied after it. Uh, and in this case, he's saying they're accursed. Children that have been accursed. And then he goes on. Well, he actually goes on through the rest of this chapter, but <laughs> as far as we're going today, through verse 16, and he goes on and he says they're lost in madness. Verse 15, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, following after the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his lawlessness from a mute donkey speaking out with the voice of a man restraining the madness of the prophet. Here he says, he goes on to say, here's where these people are. They forsake, they forsook, forsook the right way. Um, in the early chapters of Acts and through Acts, uh, Christians uh, were, co- were called followers of the way. Acts chapter 2, verse 2, uh, being the first place, Luke mentions it. Uh, he, he talks about Christians and they were followers of the way. That's how we were identified in those days. It's in chapter 19, it's in chapter 22. Uh, it, in a number of places, we're spoken to as, as followers of the way. And that's kind of the idea here is they didn't follow the way. They claimed to. They were in the church. They were part of the church, apparently, but they weren't part of the way. Uh, they, weren't, they weren't real. They were fakes. They were phonies. And it says they've gone astray. They went off in a different direction. They didn't follow the teachings of Jesus. They were more interested in their sensual and greed-filled desires. That's, uh, that's, that's, the, uh, that's what he's been telling us. They went astray. They followed their own way. And they followed the way of Balaam. And Balaam is an Old Testament character. I, you're probably familiar with the story. Uh, Jude 11 also alludes to this. It says, it says there that, uh, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and they have paid for the... Uh, uh, and for the and for pay, uh, they ha, 
They, they have poured themselves into the error of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. They're lumped in with bad people, <laughs> is, is the idea here. And, and basically, uh, the story of Balaam is found from in Numbers 22 uh, and 23 primarily. And then in, in chapter 31, there's some more information about him. Uh, but, but basically, Balaam was hired by Balak, the, the king of Moab, uh, to stop Israel. That was the idea. Balaam was actually a true prophet, but he sold his his he sold his his gift is the idea here, and and that's what he's saying. He he had been he had been able to prophesy. In fact, he does prophesy in those chapters three times. The unfortunate thing is he was paid to curse Israel, but a sovereign God can stop a greedy prophet. And he did. He never allowed him to uh, to continue in that. Uh, he he didn't allow him to he didn't allow him to bring a curse against Israel. And in fact, it, we're we're told in the first part of chapter twenty two about uh, Balak uh, trying to hire him and what he promised him all kinds of gold and silver, and and he goes out on his first uh, his first journey uh, to. Uh, to uh, curse Israel, and God stops that and gives him other words that he's going to say. And, and in verse 22 and following of chapter, chapter 22, we have the incident that is talked about here, where uh, he's off to do his bit worst, and uh, the angel of the Lord uh, shows up and is standing blocking the road. The prophet can't see what's in front of him but a donkey can yeah it's a good donkey and the donkey knows this is not a good place to be and the donkey leaves the road and Balaam beats it and forces it back on the road and the angel of the Lord is still blocking it so basically the donkey crushes his foot against the wall to stop him ultimately Balaam sees what is going on and he realizes that what he's been hired to do he can't do that he ultimately just can't do it. He wants to. Believe me, he wants to. He wants the money. Uh, but he comes to the point where, shoot, I marked it in the wrong Bible. <laughs> but anyway, he comes to the point where he tells, he, tells, he tells the king, he says, if you gave me all the money you have, I can't cross God. He won't. He basically won't let me. Is is the point? But as we go on in the in the story and in, in chapter thirty one, uh, we are told that Balaam came up with a different plan. And and chapter twenty five delineates that plan. It's the sin at the at, at Peor, uh, where Israel uh, goes and worships the Baals at Peor, and uh, in the course of that, uh, they intermingle with with uh, Moabite women and the result of that is 24,000 of them die that's the punishment that they suffer 24,000 die but Moses tells us in uh, chapter 31 that uh, it says so Moses said to them uh, wait a minute verse 16 excuse me uh, behold these caused, and speaking of the women of Moab and, and other places that, where they had uh, 
done these things. Behold, uh, behold, these caused the sons of Israel through the word of Balaam to act unfaithfully against Yahweh in the matter of Peor. So the plague was among the congregation of Yahweh. And then he goes on and he tells us, well, he doesn't go on, he goes back up and he tells us the end for Balaam. And it says, and they killed the king of Midian, and along with the rest, the, uh, uh, the rest were slain. And he gives all the kings that they killed. And then in the last part of the verse, he says, they also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. That, that's the end. That's, that's what he's telling us here. These people are like Balaam. They're after money. And they use sex as a part of it. It's greed and sensuality are the two things that are that are common amongst all of them. And he goes on to say, he, he goes on to say in, 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 in this verse, he says, he says that ultimately it was a donkey that stopped a madman. That's what he's saying. That God used a donkey to stop a madman. This word madness <clears throat> means literally would be, would read outside one's mind. In other words, besides oneself. In other words, he was so overcome with greed he couldn't stand it. He couldn't he couldn't retain himself within himself. He was so excited about the possibility of making all this money. That's that's what he's that's what he's telling us here. And 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 uh, he was motivated by this greed. It it pushed him. It drove him. It drove him. To madness is the idea. Uh, rational thought was abandoned. That, that's what we're told here. Uh, the greed. And then secondly, he talks of the sensuality in, math, in, in Numbers 31.16. It was Balaam who encouraged this activity. You want to trip up the Israelis? Send in the dancing girls. That's what he's, he told them. And they followed them. That, that's the idea here. The result was 24,000 Israelis died. But that sensuality was a second mark. This is a false prophet. Greed and sensuality. Those are the marks that, that run through, through all of this. And the result, the result is death, ultimately, in verse 18. He was run through with a sword. He died for his own unrighteousness. Verse, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 say, The marks of a false prophet, sensuality and greed. The marks of Balaam, sensuality and greed. The marks of the false teachers in the church, sensuality and greed. That's, that's, where this, that's, where, that's, what Paul, that's what Peter is wanting us to see. That's what Peter is wanting to warn us against. This is how Peter tells us to identify these people. Look at what they do. Look at what they say. Look at how they practice their lives. Any comments or questions this morning? This is not a real happy text, but, but uh, just to, you know, you see this throughout history, where the Jerry Falwell or some of these guys who, you know, those two things went side by side with the, the sexual desire and the desire for money, and yeah. power. And, and they did. They worked hard. And they practiced a really uh, expedient craft, you know. And, um, and you see that play out all the way through modern, modern times. You know, I, I, and probably a lot of these guys, they start out okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, they start out okay. They think everything is fine. I, I mean, there are uh, there are different there are different guys out there 
uh, got a couple of minutes. There are different guys out there through the history of, of the church and, and, and in modern times who have done things and, and good seminaries who have produced uh, uh, what we thought were going to be good men and then they turn. Uh, Dallas, of course, had their, uh, their great heretic, Bob Theme, uh, you know, who uh, he was one of those guys who I am the one who tells you what the Word of God says. One of, one of those kind of guys. And sucked a lot of people in. They bought his tapes and, and all that kind of stuff and, and tried to follow that. That's just, just one. But, I mean, you know, and that's a, he's probably a lesser one in a lot of ways. Uh, but you have the whole charismatic movement that is just absolutely filled with this, with this stuff. And uh, uh, I think they just ultimately make a mockery of uh, of it my my mom um in her latter years she she can she uh she had als and she was very confined as time went on and she would walk i mean she she couldn't go to church anymore but unfortunately she turned on christian television and i was at their house one time and they had a christian game show and when they won the game show, they went to the Bible store to pick prizes. And it was like, what in the world? And then you could buy these same gifts, you know, just send, you know. There's a guy on television. I think he's still on television. I, I saw him in the in the, the TV guide thing, you know. And I turned it on just to see, is this really him? There's, I don't know if you, if you guys ever heard of this guy named Peter Popoff. Oh, yeah, you heard of him? You know, they caught him. They caught him. His wife was doing one of those acts up in the deal, feeding him information about people so he could heal them, you know. And and he's back on TV. You know, here he is back again. And, you know, send him $20 and he'll send you this water that he prayed over and you pour it on whatever. And, uh, you know, it'll it'll make your dandruff go away, I guess. What I, you know, just, just nonsense, you know, just total nonsense. They're out there. They're out there everywhere. And the only protection you have is being thermally, thir- thermally, thoroughly grounded in that book. Because that shows who they are. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> anyway, Lord God, we give you thanks today. We thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you for this company. We thank you for these people. Uh, we thank you for this church. And we thank you, Lord, for the, for the dedication it has to the true gospel of preaching it boldly and openly and declaring you as God of the universe and your son as the savior of all. And we thank you and we praise you for the time we have. And we just ask that our time of worship this morning will be glorious unto you. And we thank you in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.